This is the Wesson Walker Show. All right, biggest accomplishment overall for Steve Wilkes. And it doesn't have to be a game, right? It can be the improvement and succeeding with Sam Darnold in those six games. It can be the rushing defense. It can be allowing Deontay Foreman to flourish. It could be a whole bunch of different. It's West stuff. Well, good Lord, you took everything we could say, eight mile. <laughs> And Walker. Tell these people something they don't know about them. <laughs> right. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> Only on Sports Radio 92.7 FM WFNZ. That's exactly what that was. It's 1 o'clock on Wes and Walker. A couple more hours to go. Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Fitty, it's Thursday. And everybody that listens to the show knows what happens on Thursday. At 1.45, we bring you the staple that is fire or fizzle. But none of us can really do it. We shouldn't. Fire fizzle is reserved for Wes Bryant. That's his thing. It's been his thing on Hornets broadcast. It's been his thing on Lockdown Hornets podcast. And now it's his thing here on his own show, Wes and Walker. But we have people like Bagel Guy. I think Granny Pat asked this too. Are we getting a fitty fire or fizzle? We do not have one planned. I would feel wrong for doing it without Wes's approval. This is his baby. Yeah. I feel justified in not feeling okay to go with fire fizzle for you without asking him. Maybe we can do a Friday fire fizzle bit because Wes will be back tomorrow as it stands now. Mm -hmm. And then once that happens, we'll just give you a rare Friday edition of fire fizzle. I think we've done it one other time when we were out at the Charlotte Motor Speedway. So maybe that was the last time we did it. Maybe we could have two if, if Wes allows it. If Wes allows it, maybe we could have another fitty fire or fizzle and you could talk about whatever you want to. I don't even know. We'll look up National Day calendar. We can look at something that you've been just really wanting to talk about. But perhaps we uh, toy with that idea. Yeah, I mean, I don't see why Wes would be against doing a f- – I mean, it'd be a great way to come back in, get – you know, because he's, he's going to come in on fire. Like the amount of text we've gotten in his absence. He's, That's true. I mean, he's already called a foul line trip on himself. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't see why we give him a, a Friday – and look – I mean, like, I know it's a football Friday, but talking football in this town makes me depressed. I'd much rather listen to eight minutes about Wes Bryant yell about something. All right. I like how you say it, it makes you depressed, and we promised that we would talk more football in the <laughs> schedule in just a few minutes. I will go back to the Carolina Men's Clinic text line. When we were toying with the idea of having the 2015 Panthers all-star coaching staff and just having what it would be with the front office, who would be in what role, Kevin and Charlotte – has a very similar idea to a lot of the other textures on the line. Kevin and Charlotte says a Panthers 2015 all-star staff will attract good players. At least Michael from Charlotte said cam would be a fresh look and with connections and love of Carolina, he can bring the excitement and the era that they had. We have relied on experts quote unquote, or individuals who have had experience, Frank Reich, fitter, et cetera. And how have they turned out? Can't hurt. We're already the worst team in the NFL. We also have, Somebody else that rode in, bleep it. Might as well just hire him. It hadn't worked elsewhere. And I also texted him and said, thank you for saying bleep. So I don't accidentally get an FCC <laughs> violation. People are down with this. I Here I was trying to make the argument that, hey, we can't just go back to the Super Bowl team and then give the top 22 players 
11 on offense, 11 on defense, saying, hey, you were the starters back then. Why don't you just go out there? We'll give you a GM job, assistant GM job, coach. I was saying you probably shouldn't do it, but maybe we do try to fill this staff out that way. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that that just goes to show you how bad this has really gotten. Where, where Panther fans are like, screw it. it. like Because in their eyes, it can't be any worse. And, and, I, and I guess I could see it from the lens of if we're going to be bad, Maybe it's easier to be bad with guys that you love and guys that you you respect and revere doing it. But just on the flip side, like as someone that has been there to watch like your own get fired and family get fired, like Jason Garrett to the Cowboys was very much like Jerry Jones adopted son. And even though it was time to go, it wasn't it wasn't an, an easy thing to 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 go through. But, you know, look. The Panthers put together an all-star coaching staff this past season, this past offseason. Maybe right. you just go it and get so well the first time. Maybe you get the all-Panther coaching staff. You bring Jake out of the radio booth. You bring Luke out of the radio booth. Um, give them roles and 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 see what they could what they could cook up. On the flip side, imagine if it worked. Like let's just live in that alternate reality where Greg Olson's the GM, Luke Eakley's the head coach. Cam Newton's the president. Jake DeLome's your offensive coordinator. This is what I wanted to try to figure out. And the Panthers go 12-5 and five and win the NFC South. So who would be the head coach from that team? Who would you most want to be the head coach? Luke Keekley is the one you immediately go to because he's viewed as the smartest player, defensive player in the NFL at that time. Yeah. So if that's the case, people like him. People respect him. Maybe that's the first head coach you would go to. I was thinking also about Thomas Davis. Thomas Davis, Luke Keekley, just being that smart linebacker duo in the middle of the field. Those would be the two guys. Maybe one of them is head coach. One of them is defensive coordinator. Oh, no. If we're going to do this, co-head coaches. Oh, okay. yeah. You're right. There are no rules with what we're doing. I apologize for trying to stay in the structure of what other NFL teams have abided by. <laughs> I should not do that with this alternate reality. So we'll just have both of them become head coaches. If I did have to choose, maybe I want Thomas Davis as the head coach and Luke Keekley as the D.C., just because Luke is going to be able to diagnose a whole bunch of things and then immediately get the play call in. I kind of like that idea. Also, how crazy would Cam Newton be at offensive coordinator? How many, I would love to see what kind of creativity he would bring the team, just letting him do him be himself. As he said, with everybody that was within this franchise, Ron Rivera, David, Dave Gettleman for a time, Marty Herney, as he said on the QB room podcast, he said, that was what was great. They just let me be me, and that's how I was able to be successful in the NFL. Let's let him be him as the offensive coordinator. I don't know who else you would draw it up for. Maybe Greg Olson. Greg Olson, though, maybe you take a page of the John Lynch plan and put him at general manager. Yeah, I mean, like, <laughs> me me, and uh, I got into a conversation with, with Bone about this. Like, when the, when the rumor first flared up like three weeks ago, and I was just like, They'd be crazy to make him the head coach. And Bones like, well, he's never failed at anything in his life. But it's just like, I to me, I think it's easier if you're going like, and I know there's the model because Lynch went from player to the booth to the GM role. But whenever you listen to Greg Olson on the broadcast, he sounds like a general manager. Like, and he sounds like a guy that knows football, knows people that would thrive in that role. So like, if I'm if I'm giving him any position, I'm making him the GM because. He can't do any worse than what Scott Fitter has done. Uh, uh, yeah, p people are in total bleep it mode right now. Panther Cliff being among them saying bleep it. Let's just hire Cam Newton as the head coach. Oh. I'm <laughs>
<laughs> Flawless. He's going, he said, yeah, Cam should be the GM. He can surround Bryce with the players. He never got to help with him at the QB position. Love all of that. Yeah, Jim Dingleberry writing in. Yeah, all-star staff. That sounds like a great idea. What could go wrong with an all-star staff? As we just joked about, people are having fun with this. Lots of people saying this is who should man each of these positions. Two separate jokes of how Mike Remmers should not be the offensive line coach, which is totally true. Khalil would be great, right? Wouldn't you want Ryan Khalil as that offensive line coach? That would be a good idea. Either him or Jordan Gross. Well, he wasn't on the 2015 team. Oh, so we're just saying. Michael. Yeah, okay, I'm, I'm just going Super Bowl team. I just that's wonder, what people are going back to as far as the nostalgia thing. I just wonder with Cam, if he's your head coach, how often do you practice fumble drills during the week? No, no, you don't do that. <laughs> don't go Super Bowl Cam Newton fumble. I now you ruined all the fun. I mean, I'm just. I mean, I'm just wondering. It would be fun to see him, to see him calling plays. It would be fun to see him. I, I don't know if he would get as crazy as Chud did. God, I love watching Rob Chudzinski just draw up some wild stuff. The fumble ruski. Oh, man, I'd love to see it. I do want to play this soundbite from Derek Brown. Let's go with the current Carolina Panther, who is also an all-star. Maybe not in nostalgia, but he's a current all-star, a pro bowler with the way that he's been playing. Here's Derek Brown on what it means to maybe spoil the party for some of these folks that they'll play down the line. If we go into the crib, I want everybody else at the house, too. I mean, it's a part. That's one of them things where, you know, we, we know we know we've been eliminated from the playoff run. But, you know, hopefully we get a chance to put a few more, a few more teams at the house with us, put it that way. There are so many things I love about it. The one is well said. If we're going to the crib, I want everybody else at home, too. Love it. Because now you have some internal motivation. And hey, if I'm sitting on the couch, that's exactly where I want y'all. Every team that we play, we can't control. We can only control how many games we win from here on out. We do not control anymore uh, how we're able to get to the postseason. But maybe, maybe we can hurt your chances to get to the playoffs. And Derek Brown seems to be actually enjoying it, right? Like, you could see with this season going as poorly as anybody could have imagined this year. I really don't know if anybody would have thought one win is on the table and Frank Reich would have been fired after 11 games. I don't know if anybody that we ever would have asked would have had that take. So it's gone about as poorly as you could ever imagine. Because of that, you could see this team being really down on themselves. Derek Brown is like, hey, man, I'm here to hit some people. I'm here to ruin people's day. I'm here to get paid, which money will be a big motivating factor, too. I don't want to get it too twisted. But I love everything about Derek Brown's attitude. And he just might get a Pro Bowl nod because of it. Yeah, I mean, I think it's what you're, what you know, when you're in the position that Carolina's in, and you've got two of your last four games against division rivals, you want that attitude, you want that mindset, because we're raised to believe that these games matter and that rivalry games matter, and that you, if you can knock one of these teams out, um, it, it it would be fun to watch. And I mean, like to me right now, isn't Derek Brown the reason you're you're tuning in every Sunday? Because it's it's hard to really say that Bryce Young is developing and growing. Chuba's been a lot of fun to watch, really, since Thomas Brown became the full-time play caller again. Because I think he's showing uh, signs that he can be a, a member of this offense moving forward. But I tune in to watch Derrick Brown because at 1-12, he is still putting 100% effort on the field. And, and like, I know part of it is he's chasing a contract. 
But I mean, but that's okay. It, it comes with negative connotation. Oh, right. he's only motivated. That's okay. Go like, get paid, young man. Well, like the thing is, like at least he's still motivated. Like at, at one in twelve, because I think we struggle if we put ourselves in that position. Would we be motivated to go to work at one in twelve? It's 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 a hard thing to do because they put so much into it that losing literally sucks the life out of these guys, and so. I think this is just another example of leadership we're seeing from the defensive linemen. Is there a game that stands out to you as the most winnable when you look at the Panthers? Four games left on their schedule, just to inform everyone. They have Atlanta this weekend. Green Bay also at home. That's happening Christmas Eve. One more road game to go. They'll play that game in Jacksonville. And then they finish up at Bank of America Stadium playing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So Falcons, Packers at home, Jags away, Bucks at home. What game stands out to you as the most winnable? I think I think on paper you would go you would go with the Tampa Bay game cuz I think Carolina's a little bit more closer to Tampa Bay. I think I, I think Atlanta's winnable cuz you just don't know what you're going to get from Atlanta. And if you can find a way to disrupt Desmond Ritter and get him out of rhythm and, and take away some of his confidence, this isn't the best coach football team out there. Like B, like B. John Robinson gets taken out of game plans from you know from time to time. So I, I would say the Tampa Bay game on the surface. I think Carolina can win this game on Sunday though. Falcons are the one that stands out to me too. Buccaneers, I just think the wide receiver talent is too good for them, and I like the skill positions that Atlanta employs. But I just don't trust the guy throwing them the football as much as Baker. Yes, even me, who I've been accused of disrespecting Baker. Baker's better than Desmond Ritter. Yeah, we we know that. Mike Evans has been very good this season. And so even with the Drake-London game where he performed very well, I think he had 170 yards receiving this last time out, we've not seen him contribute that way, the former first-rounder. But with Atlanta... This is the team I think that would be the most winnable, too. Green Bay is only interesting in the fact that the Packers just lost a game they shouldn't have this past weekend. And so if Jordan Love shows that kind of inaccuracy that was not happening in the two games prior, maybe Green Bay because their defense, their pass rush is good. They got some talent there, but then sometimes they just don't show up. That's been their M.O. the last few seasons. Jags defense got carved up by Jake Browning. Uh, yeah. I mean, you can talk yourself into any of these opponents. It's not a gauntlet, especially with the Jags, the way they've been losing the last few games. But Atlanta would be the one that I would choose to. Yeah. I think I'm going to need the Panthers to go ahead and beat Green Bay on Christmas Eve to, to, to really get our fan base in the, in the Christmas spirit. Because I don't want to come back from Christmas break and have to deal with Bryce Haters in full force after Tommy DeVito beat the Green Bay Packers <laughs> on Monday Night Football. Old Tommy Cutlets out there beating the Green Bay Packers and Bryce Young the number one overall the number one draft pick did not. I don't know if mentally I could handle that. I was so certain that DeVito would be the worst QB in the league and we got evidence of that in the first game or two and the fact that he's not anymore and he yeah it was the Packers defense that allowed them to drive even with DeVito running the football but good throw to Wandale Robinson on the sideline. That allowed them to get in scoring position, too. Final few texts before we move on to the next segment. We were discussing some of the uh, most unsung heroes in Charlotte sports history. I did want to relay that question back to everybody that just might be joining us here at 115. 704-570-9610. Who are the most unsung heroes in Charlotte sports history? Clay from Gastonia said someone I always liked was Brandon LaFell. Not bad. 
like surprisingly up in the ranks when you look at total receiving yards and stuff like that. Brandon LaFell's a decent one. Panther Bo said, Brenton Burson, haters can hate, but Cam knew my guy wasn't dropping any balls. I mean, he might trip over himself in key moments. Brenton Burson also alongside Luke Keekley at the Hornets game the other night. So Brenton Burson still making appearances. And uh, those are a couple of the other athletes that people wrote in. You can do so once more. 704-570-9610. Bill Barnwell of ESPN ranks Carolina as the least desirable head coaching opening. Is that true? We'll talk about it on Wesson Walker with Fiddy Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Wesson Walker back on Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Want to go back to some of the more underground heroes here in Charlotte. How about this one? T.C. Chill. Love the name. T.C. Chill from Charlotte says, Unsung hero number one is Gerald Wallace. Crash, man. And then we also had, I think it was Germ writing in saying, hey, Walker, read my text. He was getting a little frustrated with me. Please say Gerald Wallace. You need to say Crash's name. And I just wonder, is he number one on the all-time unsung hero list? I feel like he's that popular 12 seed that's actually the favorite to win the NCAA tournament game against the 5 seed now, where everyone knows how underrated that guy is to the point where maybe they're appropriately rated. Gerald Wallace we go with Kimball Walker keeping the lights on with the Hornets once they came back to the city of Charlotte. Three-time All-Star, one-time All-NBA appearance. Gerald Wallace being the only All-Star in Bobcats history, the only one, having played for that franchise. In a dunk contest, one of like only four players ever to have averaged two steals and two blocks in a season, which is crazy since not even a handful of players have ever done it. Would you say Gerald Wallace could be number one? Like, who else is contending for Gerald Wallace for that title? Yeah, I'd... I just feel like people know what Gerald Wallace was about to the point where maybe he is starting to get out of that neighborhood of most unsung. Because we sing now. We sing about Crash. What's it sound like? <laughs> like the angels descending down from heaven. <laughs> Gerald Wallace! Oh. That's what it sounds like, Fitty. You ask and you shout. <laughs> you shall receive. <laughs> uh, we got some other ones here, too. I'm trying to read some of the other ones. Uh, TC Chill also writing in. Ricky Prohl. That's a good one. People love themselves some Ricky Prohl. Got multiple Brad Hoover mentions. One game guy writing that one in. So Ricky Prohl, Crash, and Brad Hoover. Those were some of the more recent ones. I love this one from Panther Steve in Wilmington. Yes, sir. Nick Goings. Oh, man. Nick Goings had a brief minute, and you are so right about that. Panther Steve, great mention. Helping people to a fantasy football title when he ran for, I think, close to seven or close to a thousand yards the one year where you had multiple running back injuries. Insert Nick Goings into the lineup and watch him soar. Love that from Panther Steve. Also, underrated bald head in the NFL. And there was yep. something about the Love number it. that he wore and just out there mauling dudes. Young Panther fan Fitty was a big – I think I asked for his jersey at one point for my for my birthday or for Christmas. Nick, go, my, my brother, who is not a Panthers fan, he's in Indiana, and so he's more of a Colts fan. But he always remembers the Nick going season because he picked him up and – 
it helped them go on to the postseason at least um, and maybe even win the championship. Yeah, I'm looking at going stats right now. I'm trying to figure out how many. Yeah, 821 in eight games started. So in eight games started, Fiddy, averaging more than 100 yards per game. And his yards per attempt were great, but it doesn't matter. He was a bell cow, at least in 2004 when he took over. And also had 394 yards receiving, 45 receptions. That's a lot for especially that time for a guy that just inserted into the lineup like that. Um, Steven Davis. Yeah, I think we all remember how great Steven Davis was for the Super Bowl year. First, God, he was uh, so good. First Panther jersey I ever got. I bought it with my own money at a game against the Rams. He was the first Panther I ever loved. Look, I remember, I think it was watching the Colts game that year on the Super Bowl run, and one of the graphics showed up as to how many yards per game he was averaging. I think it was like 144 at the time. Yeah. I mean, just stupid. John Fox kept giving it to him and giving him the football. And every once in a while, you'd throw the moose. But then you'd give the ball back to Steven Davis. And yeah, that's a pretty good recipe to go all the way to the Super Bowl. Kingpin, Kenny Gaddison, Kurt Rambis. People love Kenny Gaddison. They still sell those t-shirts in the team store every now and then. Baron Davis. I think people love Baron Davis. I don't know if he's in this one, but people love Baron Rod Smart, he hate me. We love you. Special teams legend. Captain Munderland on this list. Okay. Maybe a little bit of Captain Munderland. Great name. He would be on the all-name team if you're putting together an all-name team for the city of Charlotte. Yeah, I could see that. And uh, we're scrolling. Oh, last one I'll read. Uh, Jack said James Anderson. He also had a fantastic season where he had over 100 tackles was a part of the linebacking crew where they just constantly had great linebackers. Beeson, TD, Weatherspoon was also on this list. Dan Connor. I like James Anderson. Yeah, Dan Connor. I don't know how much we need to, you know, no disrespect. It's I, just not up to that level. I always thought, because he came out of Penn State at the time, LBU, I thought that guy was going to be uh, a dude, mm-hmm. but he was. People like the pick, and he was with you, Dallas. He, yeah, yeah, he was. He was with you guys, too. It's never worked out for old Dan Connor. Yeah, I think the number one most unsung hero in sports history here in Charlotte, it would be, I th- if if Crash is in this, then he might be it, but also Chris Gamble. Those are the two guys that I go to. It'd be a gamble. I don't think that makes any sense. 704-570-9610. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. Just text it on the Carolina Men's Clinic text line, and we'll read them talking about some of the guys that come to your mind with most unsung Charlotte sports hero. Bill Barnwell of ESPN, he was ranking all of the head coaching vacancies that either might happen or, in Carolina's case, have already occurred. And he ranked Carolina as the least desirable head coach opening already, Fitty, even considering, you know, there were 10 teams here. There were a lot to choose from. And Adam Schefter told you maybe a few weeks back he would bet the over on whatever prop there might be for head coach firings on Black Monday and even leading up to Black Monday. A lot of people have gone with this, that it's the least desirable job. So here's Amy Trask, who a part of the, you know, how do we fix the Panther series on the Kyle Bailey show? It's really interesting. He brought on a couple of interesting guests with Randy Mueller, former GM. And here's Amy Trask talking about who is in David Tepper's ear and how important it is for them to try to figure out how to fix the Panther struggles. The question I had when David Tepper made the quick decision to cut with Frank Reich and to move in a different direction is, I wonder who is in his ear. From whom is he getting advice? 
football advice, personnel advice, X's and O's advice? Is it only people within the organization? Is he seeking counsel, if you will, from other team owners, from other team coaches? Who is advising him? Because I think ultimately that's very important to know. Yeah, and she would know. Amy Trask, the first ever female CEO of an NFL team and worked in that position with the Raiders from 97 until 2013. Really cool guest. For Kyle to have on, go click on the Kyle Bailey tab on WFNZ.com to hear more. But I think that is really important. And we know who's in Ben Johnson's ear, Fiddy. It's people on the staff, people in the organization telling Ben Johnson, the number one candidate for David Tepper reportedly, they're in his ear saying, yeah, I don't know if I'd accept this job if I were you. You got people in the franchise actively playing defense against David Tepper as he is trying to score, landing his number one choice at head coach. So we know who's in Ben Johnson's ear. And that's why I think when you have people like that, that screams dysfunction. And it's why I could understand why Bill Barnwell has this team dead last. I know in the article, those guys weren't identified, but you would think that Dave Tepper would be able to identify those people that are, are doing that. How are those guys still employed? Like, like, how are you allowing that type of... Well, Tepper, I mean influence to exist and and, and not to say that he doesn't deserve it but like you know if, if, if i were like if i was to know that i was being undermined that's why i i monitor shroppy 24 7 like i would i would do something about it if i was a billionaire owner well, i'm not going to tell you what shroppy texted me about you but <laughs> you're right if david tepper feels like he's actually getting information from these people then he might feel oh he's one of my guys Oh, these coaches are people that will let me know what's going on. I can trust them. Maybe that's it. But I can understand also not even just the ownership. But here's, if we just lay it out, why Bill Barnwell has them dead last. He has some of the pros being, okay, young defensive talent. So that's something that is a pro if you take this job. You're in a weak division, which we know that every team under 500 right now. And you might have leverage for a longer deal. The cons are impatient ownership, questions about the quarterback, and draft capital, which we can get to. But the leverage for a longer deal thing is interesting. And here's what Bill Barnwell writes. Let's start with the positives. From a coaching perspective, the undesirability of the Carolina job might actually afford candidates more opportunities to remake the organization in their image by virtue of requiring more to justify taking this job. Yeah, it, he's that is... Some like real maneuvering. I get what he's saying. I don't even disagree with it. But I like how he's saying the fact that it's so undesirable makes it desirable. That's what. Bar- oh, okay. that, yeah, that's what Bardwell is saying. Yeah, because if you come here and you win, and and you win in the name of dysfunction, like it, it really speaks volumes about the coach you are, the culture that you can build. Your ability to tolerate uh, BS, which is what you're going to have to t- you know do if you're the head coach of the Panthers. Here's my question, and we'll play the what-if game. If Dan Snyder was still the owner of the Commanders, is Carolina the, the worst perceived to be opening that will be open this coaching cycle? Say it one more time. If Dan Snyder was still the owner of the Commanders, if Dan Snyder, I didn't hear what you said. And, and we're assuming that Ron Rivera gets fired in January. Would this still be the worst opening in the NFL? Dan Snyder is the is the difference there. 
I, I don't think so. I think, Dan, if you work for Dan Snyder, that's the worst job in the NFL. Are you comfortable saying that Dave Tepper is the new Dan Snyder of the NFL? No, not at all. And the reason being is because there were so many awful things that were happening off of the field that I don't feel comfortable putting David Tepper in that conversation. If you want to talk about the meddling in football operations, then okay. But as far as what that man is accused of doing and with everything going on with that particular franchise, no. I think that's a step too far. And that's why I don't feel comfortable putting like we can have all of these criticisms for David Tepper that are 100 percent valid. But then when you start to bring Dan Snyder into the equation, that's when I just think you're bringing it a level too far. The Jerry Jones conversation pieces, I think, are real. Jerry Jones probably highly thought of more because they've been a good football team for a while. They have. And so at least they're not this team in Carolina where they haven't been over 500 and it's the longest stretch or tied for the longest stretch of losing football that this franchise history has ever been a part of before. So Jerry Jones might be the more apt comparison. But I, it's, it's funny because here we are talking about the fact that it is so undesirable that it makes it desirable. Bill Barnwell continues to write. In 2017, Kyle Shanahan landed a six-year deal and personnel control when he took over a 49ers franchise that had been through three coaches in the prior three seasons. Dan Campbell, he netted a six-year pack to take over the Lions in 2021. If you're a head coach with an impressive resume who wants to shop for the personnel groceries or hopes to land the sort of 10-year deals we've seen for top college coaches, a desperate Panthers franchise might have no choice but to indulge those requests. We all love Ben Johnson, and we we focused on him a lot. Whatever, take any of your top three candidates. Just play along with me for the spirit of the question. If it meant you had to give your top three coaching candidate GM control, would you do it? Or are you so scared because of what we've seen with Matt Rule that you wouldn't do it? Um, No, I would. I, I, I know coaches want that power. They want that control because it's easier to really write their narrative and control their own fate because a lot of coaches will tell you that if they fail, it's because of, you know, a bad roster that they've been given. But no, I, 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 how many times has that worked? Like look at the best teams right now in the NFL is Nick Sirianni, the GM of the Eagles is Andy Reed, the GM of the chiefs is, well, Kyle Shanahan got personnel control, but now we know John Lynch is a part of that front office. Yeah, so, so yeah. like, I, I mean, I think when you look down, the, you look at the track record, you look at the teams that are competitive year in, year out, or championship contenders year in, year out, no, you've got a team that has the same goal, the same vision. I think that's the problem, is I don't think that Tepper has married the right coach with the right GM, and so they've never been on the same page at the same time. And when that doesn't happen, that causes friction, that causes dysfunction, and ultimately it leads to the losing we've seen since 2017. I totally agree with you. And it would hurt. I would want to have one of those top guys, whoever it is. We you know, we talk about the Lions OC, but even if Brian Johnson really started to um, you know, rise up the ranks, Jim Harbaugh, if that's something that you were willing to put up with for three, four, five years, whatever, however long it would be, because David Tepper wants the next head coach to be in place for 20 years, Pittsburgh Steelers style, but they just haven't won enough. And Tepper hadn't made the right hire. I would love to see it. I just, you're right. You don't see it work all that well. Now Harbaugh is going to be the interesting one because that might be what, what sways him to come back to the NFL. Cause I think he, I think he wants to win a national championship at Michigan. 
And then I think once he's done, I think he wants to go and win a Super Bowl because not many coaches can say they won a college, they won a national championship, and they won a Super Bowl. You got Jimmy Johnson, Pete Carroll on the short list of those names. Would you be willing to give Jim Harbaugh control of the roster if that's what it took to get him in Carolina? No. I do not want the head coach. It just feels like you're inviting too many potential problems with a team that has had a lot of problems since Tepper took over. Yeah. I think you were right when you asked the question, how many times do we see it work? I don't see it work all that much. And so if even if, yeah, there are certain outliers that you could go to and certain examples, but, yeah, man, I'm not in the business of investing in one-off ideas. Oh, okay, it worked here. We have all this other evidence to suggest that it doesn't work, but it did work that one season a while back. Okay, well, yeah, I'm not going to I'm not going to purchase that idea when there's so much other evidence to the contrary. I'm with you though. The other thing we, we can continue this conversation, but one thing that uh Barnell wrote too, it's the fact that whoever that head coach is going to be has to believe that Bryce Young has superstar ability. This is what he writes exactly. There are certainly skeptics of Bryce Young's ability to succeed at the NFL level, given his size, his five foot ten frame. The hiring process is going to be self-fulfilling, but the Panthers will only hire someone who believes Young is a superstar in the making, in part because they have no choice but to develop him as best they can over the next couple of seasons. It, there's so many things that have to go right for you get to, to get your number one choice. So, okay, not even considering the QB spot, but all of this other dysfunction that your franchise is saturated in. You have to convince them, hey, that's not going to happen with you. You get to run your team your own way. I'm not going to tell you how to deal with your QB's footwork. I'm not going to tell you to switch to an odd man front. I'm not going to tell you any of that. So don't worry about that. I'm also going to give you a lot more money so you don't go to the Chargers who have a franchise QB, to the Bills who have a franchise QB. Now, I'm going to give you more money, so don't worry about that. Do you believe in Bryce? Eh. That's going to be the kicker. I And I, I think that's why when it's all said and done, they're going to try to find a new age offensive mind to be the head coach. Because if you're getting a old school type of coach like a Bill Belichick, do you think Bill Belichick believes a 5'10 quarterback can play this position at the highest level of the NFL? That's no. why that. Yeah, I don't think. Oh, were you good? I'm sorry, <laughs> Bill. I do not want to interrupt the great one. I'm, I'm sorry, Bill. What do you think about a 5'10 QB in the NFL? No, man, you know. You can play 5'10 football in college, but in the NFL, you got to be 6'2", 6'3", 6'4". You got to be able to deflate footballs. Um, is he, I'm sorry, is Bryce not powerful enough to deflate footballs now? <laughs> all right, thank you. I didn't know. Thank you. That is the best coach of all time, Bill Belichick, ladies and gentlemen, on the Wesson Walker Show. Let's move on. I apologize for those that want fire fizzle, but I'm sorry, we're just not doing it without Wes. We're not doing it without his approval. We're not doing it without him in that chair across from me. So instead, we'll continue to talk some college basketball, some NBA basketball, some round ball, if you will. That's coming up on Weston Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ I'm trying to go with some of the Charlotte sports 
athletes back in the day who didn't get enough love. And we're trying to shed some light on that right now. Sid32 texting in on the Carolina Men's Clinic text line. How about Walter Herman? Tremendous. I said his hair is definitely worth a mention. Is that something you're familiar with, Walter Herman and his hair, Fiddy? Mm, no. Mm, you got to look it up. I don't, I don't think so. It's a beautiful, beautiful piece of hair that he had on. What about, um, what about Drew Carter? <laughs> I mean, and I only bring him up because I believe, I believe he was in Madden 08 or Madden 09. I think that's, I think that's a little too late. I think you have to go back earlier. Uh, Maybe, may but with if, Drew Carter on this, yeah, you got to go back earlier than that. But if if you would ever audible, the audible if you if you were playing with the Panthers was Drew Carter. Drew Carter was what for whatever reason, and I remember as a kid wondering. Why is Drew Carter? Why why is Drew Carter my my audible sound that the video game is making? Um, Drew Carter was on the team from 05 to 07. He did have 38 receptions in 07, so not as early as I was trying to make it out to be. When I remember watching Drew Carter, every single time I watched a Panthers game, the broadcast booth would make sure you knew that now I know people love Steve Smith, but Drew Carter, actually the fastest player on this roster. They said it every single time. And my man had a little case of the dropsies, if I'm not mistaken. I think I have that correct, but he could fly. And if you were going to call an audible in Madden, it was Drew Carter go route. That's what you needed to roll with. All right. More annoying announcer tendencies. Drew Carter being faster than Dean, uh, about said Dean Smith, than Steve Smith. Jimmy Graham playing basketball at the University of Miami. Okay. Kennedy, Kennedy Meeks losing weight after showing up as a freshman. Okay. Or Nate Britt changing hands mid-college mm. career. Oh, man, that is a strong one. You know when it hits you across the face, that Nate Britt. Guys, what's crazy about Nate Britt, and it would always happen at the free throw line, Right, right. At the free throw line, hey, bring out, hey, bring out the stat about Nate Britt. Bring out that little tidbit. That's a great one. I think we've just heard so much about Jimmy Graham because he was he was better than Drew Carter. He was better than Nate Britt. He was better than Kennedy Meeks. He was a higher profile guy at his time, and so you heard it so much you couldn't escape it. Watching the Saints in prime time during their heyday. Yeah, he was the face of the tight end renaissance in the NFL. He was, especially with the bat. Well, he wasn't the face of the basketball transition because Tony G did that, Antonio Gates. But people reminded you, hey, remember he did play for Miami. Uh, yeah, if anybody else has anything like that that you always hear, I think we go with Chris uh, Hogan playing lacrosse. Oh, yeah. I think George Fant having played basketball, the tackle. I think we get a lot of that, too. So those are the two that come to mind. If you have anything else, you can text us at 704-570-9610. Have a few more unsung heroes. Ricky Manning Jr., we always think about the one game. It's the NFC Championship game. Picking off Donovan McNabb. Three times. Love that. And I agree with a few of the textures that said it's not really Steven Davis. It's more so Deshaun Foster that was the running back that isn't remembered as much because Steven was the starter. Crazy good. I think we dwindled down Deshaun Foster's achievements to the one play, the two yard run, whatever it was that lasted for, you know, a long time as the great call. I forget the exact call from Bill Rosinski, but it was amazing. Uh, we we really just make sure we re- recognize that play. But Deshaun was good. Uh, Ted Ginn getting some love. Mm. Ted Ginn was underrated and played his best years here with the Panthers. Yes, he would drop it. Matthew Barry coined the term. 
bleeping Ted Ginn. <laughs> he would frustrate you, but he was good. And he really helped out this Carolina Panther team and would absolutely stretch the field. Uh, yeah, now we're getting some Mike Minner. Didn't mention him. Michael Bates is a good one. Lee from Rock Barn. Great special teamer. So those are a, a few good ones, too. You want to talk some basketball, Fitty? Always. More Charlotte Hornets? Gotcha. <laughs> gotcha. You thought I was going college basketball. We'll get to some college basketball in just a moment. But here we are with the Charlotte Hornets losing to the Miami Heat last night. Terry Rozier, excellent shot making down the stretch. Brandon Miller had a good fourth quarter, eight points to lead the team in the fourth quarter as soon as they came back out. But it was it was too much damage done by the Heat. They got hot at the end of the second quarter. They picked up right where they left off coming into the third quarter. But I'm interested in what they're going to do with the deadline. I repeated this earlier that uh, Matt Moore of the Action Network said it's largely believed that the Hornets are going to be quiet at the NBA trade deadline, or at least they're not going to make significant moves. Maybe they make some, but as far as Terry Rozier, Gordon Hayward, what you would consider significant, that might not be the case because new ownership does not want to take on extra money, especially if it's going to be on the books for a two, three-year outlook. I want to know if we are going to see a new philosophy with new ownership. Because Mitch Kupchak, Steve Clifford, I don't think those guys are going to be here. And Fiddy, we have all the, all the rage is hiring the young offensive mind in the NFL. Do you do the same thing in the NBA? Especially with a team that doesn't have all that many problems offensively. Whether LaMelo is in or out, to be honest. But this is, uh, this is something I would imagine a lot of other NBA teams want to do as well. The Mike D'Antoni, who's the new Mike D'Antoni, right? Who's the young guy that is an offensive genius, and you pair him alongside LaMelo. Is that something that you not only want Carolina to maybe do, but also the Charlotte Hornets if they move on from Steve? I, I feel like when it comes to small market NBA teams, you pair to small market MLB teams. When they're making changes and they're philosophical changes, they start and end with analytics. And so maybe that's the the move in the direction that this team, this franchise goes under. I don't I would imagine that Mitch Kupchak being 74 years old is not an analytical driven guy and that doesn't drive personnel decisions. I know that Steve Clifford is aware of analytics, but I don't think he, you know, that's his bread and butter. You know, you see some teams that have become very competitive in the league, Oklahoma City, you know, Utah, younger teams that got young talent like Charlotte does, they've got an analytical background. So I think that might be the, the, the change more so than than, than anything else, because you're right. Sans LaMelo, they're still scoring, you know, enough on a nightly basis to win some games. They got to get better defensively, but I think you're going to see an analytical uh, change within an organization. So Rick Schnall, Gabe Plotkin, younger owners – and taking over for the first time. Rick Schnall, having had experience with the Atlanta Hawks as a minority owner, but now this is the first time that he is majority alongside a Gabe Plotkin. So I, I do like that you have somebody with some experience and, by the way, was a part of the Atlanta Hawks team that built a roster set to win uh, or at least get to the Eastern Conference Finals, something that this Hornets team has never done. So at least they got to the Eastern Conference Finals, and this is also a Hawks team that is right there at that 10 spot as it currently stands. So it wasn't long-lasting. That's not necessarily great, but at least they got there with some big-time performances from some of the younger players. And as we approach the NBA trade deadline, I just wonder 
how many people want them to do something because they have laid low every single year Mitch Kupchak has been here, which I'm surprised about. Yeah. Mitch Kupchak was brought in in part because he was a deal maker. And I never thought it was going to be at the same level that he was able to, you know, be a deal maker with the LA Lakers because that was the task at hand. When you take over as a GM, you have Shaq, you have Kobe. The goal for him is to keep the that duo working together as long as you possibly could. And then when it all, you know, went off the rails, like Shaq and Kobe's relationship has notoriously, you know, notoriously went through, then you trade Shaq and then you try to Make sure Kobe has enough help to get him to the promised land again. And that's what happened. So you're talking about him being a deal maker and actually doing a pretty good job at drafting with the Lakers. Not awful, not phenomenal, but pretty good job. So here in a smaller market, as he has one to tell you constantly at that podium, that there are only a couple of ways that you can enhance your roster. It's through draft, trade, free agency. And especially in a small market, it's really through the draft and maybe trades because they can't be huge players in free agency with them not being in L.A. or New York. That drives us crazy because he continues to talk about it. The other thing that drives us crazy is the fact that you mentioned trades being another thing that you can do to help the roster when you don't make any trades, especially in season. That's why I do think we're probably going to see the most turnover we ever have. One, because the bar is low, but also we're about at that point with this core that we've seen with the Hornets, give or take a couple of guys, for the last four years. <clears throat> uh, Josh Marler, WFNZ. Mitch, can you explain why you have laid low at past NBA trade deadlines? And can we expect a philosophy change this time around? Well, you know, I didn't want to think that we were better than we actually were I- we got to the four seed and said, hey, this team's pretty good. But uh, you know, then we kept falling down and we were going to the play-in tournament. Uh, we didn't get to the playoffs. We were more in the play-in. I'd like to get to the playoffs. That's something I would like to do, but I just don't think that this team was good enough at the time. And so I didn't want to trade assets and you know, not actually make a deep run in the postseason. You know, deep runs. I'd like to make a deep run. I, I don't like running myself. I get pretty tired nowadays. But I would like to make a deep run in the postseason for a basketball tournament. Wait, wait, Mike, am I done? You, do I need to get off the mic? Okay. All right. What was that? All right. I'm sorry. I'm done. Thank you. Mitch Kupchak, Bill Belichick, all the checks here on Wesson Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. The 2 o'clock hour coming up next. Sports Radio 92.7 FM.